Praise the Lord. God is good. It's a good night to serve God. Hallelujah. The worst day in the kingdom of God is better than the best day in the world. <clears throat> Amen. Hallelujah. Let's pray and we'll get into the word for tonight. Hallelujah. Father, we're thankful and we're grateful that we have the word of God in this house. We are grateful and thankful that it has place in our hearts. Father, we give you the praise and we give you the glory. We exalt your name. Let it be high and lifted up in this house. Be magnified and be exalted. We turn our attention right now to heavenly things. And we declare that as our citizenship is in heaven, we bring heaven to earth through us. The working of miracles, the signs, the wonders, the commands of our mouth brings heaven into the earth. And we are grateful and thankful, Father, for that dominion and authority that we have in this house. I take authority over every demonic assignment, every demonic spirit that would try to spoil this night. And I thank you, Father, that every attempt of darkness is rendered inactive and inoperative in our midst. And we give you the praise and thanksgiving that the blood of Jesus does away with the devil. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The blood of Jesus does away with the devil. So we've been working on um, talking for the whole year about the restoration. The restoration. And um, the more you talk about it, the more we speak about it, the more opportunity restoration has to come to your house. The more aware and awake you see that of what God wants to do and God needs to do in the earth before the return of Jesus. You know, our text in Acts 3.19 always draws us back to understand that there is a mandate of the restoration of all things before the return of the Lord. Amen. Genesis 1.26 and 28, we looked at that last week where it talked about the dominion that man was to have that we were to rule and reign and have authority in the earth, all right? And so with that being said, that means there has to be in our time a transition of the systems of this earth to become God-oriented, God-ruled, and God-dominated. And the only way that can happen is if the church rises up to a place of authority and dominion and rule and governorship in those places. And God is going to invade those places. And the way he's going to do it is by, by a people that demonstrate him, meaning that demonstrate his love. Amen. So that was last week. All right. So let's begin tonight with going to Second Chronicles. And we mentioned this scripture last week, but we're going to pick it up from here. Is everybody warm and toasty? Yeah. Too warm and toasty? No. Uh-huh. I got lots of uh-huahs. Some uh-huahs, some uh-uahs. It's pretty warm in here for me, but I'm always warm. All right. Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So when we look at this scripture, 
It isn't addressing the world to do anything about healing the land. They're part of what's broken. All right? Who he's dealing with to heal the land is his people. It's his people. It's the church people. It's the house of God people. It's the God-fearing, God-loving people. And so there is requirement in this passage of Scripture. It says, if my people who are called by name, my name, they have to do this, humble themselves, they have to pray, they have to seek his face, they have to turn from their wicked ways. Well, just a minute, I thought we were talking about God's people. We are, okay? But it says, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. All right? Heal is the word Rapha, where we get the word Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer. And so if he's going to heal our land, he literally, the word means heal, means to cure, to repair thoroughly, to make whole or restore. So if we're looking for a restoration in the land, incidentally, land is also translated other places, country. If we're looking for a restoration in our country, it becomes the responsibility of the church to make it happen. Amen. Now, if we look back through history, we know God is in the restoration business. He took a dispersed nation of the Jews and brought them all back together. He took a dispersed nation and brought them all back together and made them a country again in 19, what is it, 48? Hallelujah. God is in the restoration business. And so it's not just about restoring your life and your situation. We're talking about the restoration of all things, restoring a land, restoring a country, restoring the intention of the Lord back to what the United States of America was for. Amen. All right. So let's look over into Proverbs chapter 29. Very short scripture. Proverbs 29, 2 says this. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan or sigh. All right. When the righteous are in authority... And it doesn't mean just that they're ruling and reigning, but it also means when they're increasing in number, increasing in quality, increasing in size. When the righteous are increasing, the people rejoice, not just the church. We have to get this in our heart if we're going to believe for restoration. When the church is in authority, all peoples rejoice. There is an atmosphere of rejoicing that's brought to a land when the righteous are ruling and reigning. Why? Because with the righteous and ruling reigning, there is a security and a safety because of the connection to God that they believe the country has that everyone celebrates. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. So when the righteous are in authority... When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. Now, this is something to remember. When the righteous reign, righteousness reigns. 
The conduct of the nation will change when righteousness reigns because rightness with God will begin to rule and reign. Amen. And the way it happens, I'm just going to, you know, this is maybe a little time out, okay, Um, for all of you intercessors and prayers. Um, You know the question, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? In case you didn't know it was a chicken. Okay, all right. Hallelujah. But what happens, what happens, because we know that there is the invisible realm, okay? And we know, how many of you have ever traveled, and in your travels, spiritually, you can sense that there's different things ruling and reigning in different regions and areas. How many of you have ever gone to Portland? Is it different there than it is here? Absolutely. There's differences in communities. There's differences in regions. There's difference in those things. And a lot of times um, we suppose it's because of the people. But many times it's because of the spirits that are living in those unseen areas that we don't see. And what happens is a people will come to a region. Okay, we're talking historically, way in the back. A people will come to a region and set up a particular lifestyle. Well, when they set up that lifestyle, the enemy is going to and fro throughout the earth seeking whom he may devour, but he's also a seeking a place to habitate. Okay, and he's looking at this in a broad spectrum as far as nations, And then it gets smaller to communities, it gets smaller to families, it gets smaller to you. See, the enemy is always looking for a place to set up habitation. So then what happens is in a city or a community region, the enemy sets up up in in this territory um, a habitation. And then the people that come under that, into that region, if they do not know God and don't have God, they will conform to whatever that spirit in the unseen realm is dictating in that region. I'll give you an example. Um, A number of years ago, I heard somebody talk about Washington, D.C. And they said, Washington, D.C. has many great godly men that come to it that leave heathen. They come with the intent to stay faithful to God, stay strong to God, but because the enemy has found a place to set up rule and and abiding and a habitation, then the people that come under that, then they fall prey to that if they're not strong enough in God to understand that. Are you clear with what I'm saying? And it's the same way with your family you can have what we call generational curses, okay? And if you don't become stronger than the um, habitation of the enemy that he's trying to persist, your generations will fall prey to that. Because some people wonder, is it the lifestyle that causes the enemy to come or the enemy that causes the lifestyle? Both. And it's uninterrupted till someone in God takes authority. So what we are in this nation right now is a people rising up in greater authority to plunder those habitations of the enemy 
and bring them down so that righteousness has the opportunity to be increased and multiplied. Are you following what I'm saying? Okay. Praise the Lord. So that's just a little intercessory prayer thing. All right. So, you know, you, for instance, um, let me just share this. Um, what the enemy does then when he sets up a, we call I called it a habitation. The word calls it thrones or dominions. Okay. Is what the word of God calls it. He sets up a throne or a dominion. And then what he does is try to get the people to conform to a particular lifestyle. And then what happens is if they will conform to that lifestyle, he'll go, you, 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 calling to another demonic force that will cooperate with that force. For instance, if you get an area that is um, in, uh, drug addicted, drug addicted, then what happens is alongside of it, he'll call to it a spirit of poverty. Do you understand what I'm saying? See, the enemy, and I'm, please understand, I'm not trying to magnify the enemy, but I need you to understand these things because you have to use your authority, okay? So then what he does is he looks for another demonic force that will cooperate with that existing force to take a people captive so that even if you're not addicted to drugs, you're still going to be subject to that spirit of poverty in that region. Are you following what I'm saying? Okay. Am I okay? Okay. All right. So um, in this, in this, we need to go to Luke 21 to get the good news. That was the bad news. You, but you need to understand, you know, um, go back uh, last summer, <laughs> not this past summer, the year ago, we only have one enemy. And he's only in one place at one time. And every one of his laborers and servants is subject to the name of Jesus that you use. All right? You have so much more power and authority than the enemy. If you start thinking about it, think at how mighty the spirit of man is. In that one man could hold enough. Now, this was an unclean man, a demonically possessed man. But there were so many spirits in that one man that it made 2,000 pigs drown. That, was, that should show us the spiritual capacity that we have. Because our spiritual capacity is large enough to contain the fullness of the Father. The fullness of of the Father in me completely is certainly stronger than every throne or dominion of the enemy. All right. Hallelujah. Are you still with me? All right. Luke 11, let's go to verse 21. And this was when they accused Jesus because he cast out a devil. And they said, you did that by the power of the devil. And Jesus explains, no, you can't do that. You can't cast out a devil with a devil because any house divided falls. Okay, so I didn't do that. I cast out the devil with a different power than the devil has. All right, and he says, 
when a strong man, verse 21, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. Okay, now a lot of times we think of us being the one that's being assaulted here. Okay, that we were the strong man, but a stronger one came. I want you to understand that that is not the case. What is happening here, he's trying to explain to us the, the enemy, the strong man, everything is at peace. Everything is okay. Everything. But if a stronger than him comes, he will spoil everything he has confidence and trust in. So the idea is we have to be stronger than the enemy. We are stronger than the enemy. All right? The enemy has set a habitation and believes everything is at peace because he's got you on the run, but it's time for you to put him on the run. That it's time for you to be the offense not the defense. You don't have to wait till you have a trial before you pray. You don't have to wait till you're desperate before you spend time with the Lord. See, if you will learn how to spend time with God when there's nothing major going on, you become stronger and stronger because you fill yourself with ammunition when there's no need to use it. You'll have plenty when the battle comes. But if you wait to get armed and ready for battle, when the battle is at your front door, it's too late. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So the enemy has symptoms of strength. Say that. Symptoms of strength. But he is not stronger than you. He is not stronger than you. He is not stronger than you. All right? He is not stronger than you. Let's go over to 1 John chapter 4. Hallelujah. We all know this scripture, don't we? This is refrigerator verse time. 1 John 4, 4. You are of God, little children... And have overcome them, meaning those that believe antichrist things, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. What part of the world? See, it doesn't qualify anything there. It just says the one that's in you is greater than anything else out there in the world. Anything out there in the world, you're greater than it. Any temptation out there, you're greater than it. Any sorrow, you're greater than it. Any disaster, you're greater than it. Anything out there, the greater one is on the inside of you. You are greater. Greater is he that's in you than he who is in the world. All right? And then it goes on to say, They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. 
We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, going back to the idea of the restoration of all things and all systems, we must understand that in the world there is two spirits in operation, the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And everything else can be classified under those two things. Okay? The peace of God, spirit of truth. Chaos and turmoil, spirit of error. Because God had an intended way for the earth to work. And that intended way is called by truth. He wanted everything to operate by truth. So we've got this counterattack that's called error. Truth and error do not shack up together. You have one or the other, okay? We have the spirit of truth in operation, and we have the spirit of error in operation. And it says here that we know which people are of which spirit or which systems are of which spirit by the ones that will listen to God. He who knows God hears us. He is not of God, does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And you get into it and you recognize that if you cannot do what you do with listening to Jesus, it's probably spirit of error. You probably shouldn't be doing that. Okay? Okay. That didn't work very well. You want to be in a position where you're listening to God, okay? Because when you're listening to God, you're of the spirit of truth. When you refuse to listen to God, the spirit of error is getting a foothold, okay? Spirit of error, spirit of truth, all right? So now what I need to do here is... Um, Go back to, I, I am sorry, Micah, Second uh, Chronicles 7. Let's look at something in that again. Let's just grab something quick, and then we're going to go back into what we need to get into tonight. Second Chronicles 7, 14. If my people, seven, Second Chronicles, the first, one of the first ones we did. If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And we already established there was a number of things that God's people had to do. They had to humble themselves. They had to pray. They had to seek his face. And it said, turn from their wicked ways. Now, we are talking about the restoration of the systems of the world. The word wicked is where we get the word wicker. We've all heard that, which means an intertwining and going back and forth, back and forth. You know, how if you have wicker furniture, you know how it weaves in and out, weaves in and out and all this kind of thing. And so what happens here is God is asking his people to turn from their wicked ways or he's saying, don't be connected to the world systems. 
because as you're connected so much to the world systems, the restoration of your land can't happen because you've not become a standard, you'd become conformed. And without you being a standard, the righteous don't rule, and so the people can't see God what he's like. And the church is called to be the standard, not the conformist. Hallelujah. And what has happened is the church has done so many things under the guise of political correctness that we've lost biblical soundness. Will somebody smile at me, please? Okay, thank you. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now I'll go over to the one in Corinthians, Micah. Hallelujah. So it says, do not be, this is New Testament, unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That's the twisted. That's the, that's the intermingling. That's the twining. For what? And we use this all the time for just marriage, right? Well, it works for that too. However, it's bigger than that, okay? For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? Keep going. And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? Okay? So I'm gonna, I want to keep going here. Um, I'm, I'm just going to turn to it because I have some notes here. Just a second. Okay. So he's trying to tell us it doesn't work to be connected unless the reason for your connection is to, um, to influence them. It doesn't work to connect if you're wanting to be influenced. Hallelujah. And verse 16. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols for you? Say me. me. You are the temple. You are the temple of the living God. You are the temple of the living God. So there is no way that the temple of the living God wants to con get connected to Belial or unbelievers or any. He doesn't want to be connected. And if it gets connected, then it loses its affluence as the temple of the living God. So he says, what agreement is the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out. From among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. All right? So he's asking us, I'll be a father to you. You'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. It even goes on. The next verse says, therefore, cleanse yourself. It says, cleanse yourself from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit perfecting yourself in the fear of God. So he's saying this, 
There is the opportunity for you to absolutely be a habitation for God. But once you connect, you no longer become known as a habitation for God. You become one of them. You just become one of them. And you lose your authority as the standard of righteousness. Now, we have to understand, we have jobs in a real world that doesn't know God. We have to work in places. We have to do business with places that do not know God. So it becomes um, necessary to hear God regularly to know how do I do this job? How do I conduct this business? Because it becomes so important, it is so important to the Lord that you in those places are a communicator of the light of God. It becomes so valuable to him and you have to understand he has planted his people in places to shine. And we're not looking to establish ourselves as politically correct, we are looking for ourselves to revive love of God and how to do that. And the only way, I can't stand up here and tell you how you're going to do that in life, but I can tell you this, God knows how to do it in your personal life. He knows how to direct you personally, individually, how to make that happen. He knows how to make that happen for you. All right? So... We are going to break this intermingling. This is where we have to come to, church. Nothing in the world has the answers we are needing. No system has the answers we need. We are the carriers of the one that answers all things. Amen. We carry the one that answers all things. All right? And what happens is... When we intermingle in thought, in revelation, in operation, then we lose our strength as the people of God. And we want to maintain, I am a child of God. And greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. All right? You want to maintain that. So not only is it our responsibility, our responsibility to have our land healed, it becomes a commission to get this land healed. Amen? All right. So, um, well, we are we? Okay. So let's go over to John chapter 8. A little bit of Bible lesson, isn't it? John 8, chapter 42. Because we're going to have restoration in our land. We're going to have restoration in our land. Now, let me say it to this to you. We are going to have restoration in our land. Whether or not you are a part of it is up to you. But we're going to have restoration. Because I'm going to have restoration. Amen. Hallelujah. Julie's having it with me. Hallelujah. John 8, verse 42. Jesus said to them. Now, you'll notice as we're reading this, how this parallels with 1 John. All right? If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? 
because you are not able to listen to my word. Remember the spirit of the truth and the spirit of error is distinguished by those who listen to God. Same thing he's saying right here. And then he goes on and says, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. He's not under the spirit of truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Same thing he said in 1 John chapter 4. The spirit of truth and the spirit of error is about who you're listening to. Okay? Now, interesting enough, he says here that it's this, there's truth and then there's lies. Right? He says Jesus is the one that speaks truth. Then we have the father of all lies, the devil. Okay? How many of you would agree that the systems of the world operate under lying? There's lying in those, in those systems. Because the spirit of error is built on lies. All right? The spirit of truth is built on the truth that Jesus commands. And so what the devil does is he uses a couple things um, uh, relative to this that we phrase them as deception, deceit, deceiving, lying. All these things are part of the spirit of error, all right? Deception literally means to misapply signs to communicate thoughts, meaning there's all these signs out here, but I'm going to distort a little bit to make you think something else, okay? It's like he deceived Eve, right, in the garden. So he took the signs that were there that God had spoken and he muddied up, up a little bit and told her something to give her a thought. It's exactly what the enemy did. He messed it up to give her a thought. I want you to know the devil still does that. He messes things up and turns them around and throws a thought at you. Okay? That's what he does. He just throws a thought at you. All right? Because he is the father of all lies. All right? Now... Let's go back to this thing. We can't be intertwined with the spirit of error. So we have to get ourselves to the place that we don't like lying. If you're going to be stronger than that strong man, you've got to come to the place that you don't use the same weaponry he does, or you're just matched in power. You're just matched in power. If he has a cannon and you have a cannon, you can shoot all day, cannon against cannon, nothing's changing. The idea is you have an artillery that he doesn't have in order for you to become stronger. So if he's lying and you're lying, 
equal forces. And there's no overcoming. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. You'll encourage me tonight, right? <laughs> hallelujah. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> you didn't answer either. I think that's deception. <laughs> hallelujah. So in order for the systems of the earth to be restored, we need to not give in to what the enemy uses for artillery. We cannot give in to deception, to deceit, and to lying, including misleading, misinterpreting. We can't do that, okay? Sometimes lying has a lot of, wor lot of different um, words we use. Excuses. What is an excuse? A lie to prevent the truth. Exaggerations. What is that? Making more than it really is or less, worse than it really is. See, all of these things are misleadings and deceptions that the enemy uses to set up his habitations over the systems of this earth. So we as the church, because we are of greater stature, because we are of greater character, we do not yield to the artillery of the enemy operating through us. Amen? All right. We have to counterattack that lying. You know, and you think, well, I don't really lie. Don't think on that too long. And don't ask the Lord too deeply if you really don't want to know. Okay? You know, that car flew by me 100 miles an hour. You know, how about this one? It never works. I always. Okay, what has happened is we've moved ourselves out of a position of overcoming and we've left ourselves in a position of cooperation. Hallelujah. Let's go over to Colossians 3 and see if we can get out of this. Right? Hallelujah. Colossians 3. Hallelujah. Verse number nine. It says this. Do not lie to one another. Now, I want you to know when the spirit of the Lord wrote this, he wrote this to the church. He didn't write this to the world. And sometimes you can ask the church about things and you wonder, why did God even bother writing that? Because nobody's doing that. <laughs> Do not lie to one another. Since you have put off the old man, the old man lies. The old man lies. The old man lies. The new man doesn't. <laughs> Hallelujah. The new man doesn't. The old man lies. So it's not a shocker if once in a while he tries to resurrect and tell a big one. Okay? The old man lies. But we are overcoming the strong man to bring restoration into the systems so we're not going to give in to lying because we are the character, the stature, and the nature of God. God cannot lie. You know why it becomes so imperative for the church not to lie? Because if you lie... 
The creative power of your words has to be diminished. The pow creative power of your words has to be diminished. And you go and try to declare a thing and wonder why it's not established is because yesterday you cheated on your taxes. And so God's trying to give you creative power and to turn the volume up. But if he turns the volume up because you're not clean with your words, it's going to destroy more than create. And it's not like, well, I want these words to be powerful and these words not count. See, that's not the way God operates. He says it's according to the power that's operative in you. Your words are just the channel that power comes out. So if you have a tendency to be lying, I never did that. You know, and the thing of it is, the old man starts at about conception, I think. <laughs> Who ate that last cookie? I don't know, Mama. I didn't eat that last cookie. You understand what I'm saying? Because it's a piece of the fallen nature, it's a something simple to fall back on. But God is wanting to turn up the power in the vocabulary of the church. And in order for him to do that, the church has to put away lying. We have to tell the truth. We have to be honest. I heard, uh, uh, well, let's just go on here. Ephesians 4, 25. All right, put away lying. Again, he's talking to the church. Let each one of you speak truth as neighbor, for we are members of one another. What he's saying here is your lying is breaking down your unity. How many of you know if your wife comes and tells you a big fat lie, it's hard to trust it the next time around, isn't it? Because it breaks down unity. It breaks down the union. And we as the church are supposed to be unified. But if we're telling stories and fables, you know, the unfortunate thing about um, some of the social media things is um, people make it their diet of information. And some of it's not true. Not everything you read on the Internet is true. It's not. Everything that comes over the news is not true because all a lie has to be is misapplying what was seen to give you a thought. Now, news people have become professionals at that. Misapplying what happened to give you a thought. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we have to put a line because if we're not united, we're not going to be a good standard for the world. All right. Next one. Ephesians 4.15 says, speak the truth in love that you may grow up in all things into him who is the head, which is Christ. What is Christ? The anointed one and his anointing. So if you will speak the truth in love, you'll grow in the anointing. You can grow in the anointing if you'll speak truth. How many of you would say the most devastating thing that happens to you is when somebody lies to you, especially close to you? Hallelujah. We don't want them to lie to us, but we would be okay if they lie about us if it was necessary. <laughs> For gain, right? Hallelujah. So sometimes we have to ask ourselves, if we are lying, 
or deceiving or misleading, who are we yielding to? Spirit of air. And who's the father of that? Right. And we're after taking him down, not reinforcing his authority. Amen. All right. And we need to keep that. Remember that that creative power is what works in our life through our words of our mouth. Let's go over to Proverbs 4. Let's, let's go through those scriptures and just look at some things here. Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all diligence. Now, we've heard that in this house before. Keep your heart. It's so important for you to keep your heart. Keep your heart. If you want to take the strong man down, you got to keep your heart because out of it spring the issues of life. What's the next verse say? Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. We all know to keep our heart, but are we as attentive to put away from us a deceiving mouth, a mouth to mislead, a mouth that will misguide, a mouth that will mistell the story? You know what? I, I told you the story. I just left out this and this. And this. Well, that is what we call a deception. Okay? And he says, you got to put away from you a deceitful mouth, a misleading mouth, a devious, a turning from mouth. Okay? Proverbs 12. Go to that one. The truthful lip is established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. It's just going to... For a moment... You're going to have a reprieve, but it's going to come down. It's going to come down. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors have a 22. You have 20. I think it's 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his delight. They're his delight. God doesn't love lying. You know what I'm saying? All right, next one. Let's see, go to Proverbs 13. Wealth gained by dishonesty will be diminished. This is probably one of the places that becomes more difficult because you can see profit if you tell just, uh, it's almost the truth, almost. You know, um, it's amazing to me. Um, I heard a story of a man one time that would be prospered abundantly. And all he had to do is in the courtroom, get up on the stand and say this and this and this. And he would be prospered abundantly. And he got up on the stand and he didn't say any of it. And somebody asked him, why didn't you do that? He said, because I've made a decision to tell the truth at, regardless of the cost. And so there was no confusion. He didn't have to mull her over in his head. Do I tell the truth? Do I not and prosper? There should not be an option for a child of God. Okay, you tell the truth. You tell the truth. And you know, there's some situations, the truth is going to be hard to tell, but the truth is the only thing the Lord will delight in. Amen. All right. Go to um, Proverbs 6, 16. You know, I had a chance, most of you know, to sit in a, um, a jury trial. And I was shocked because they could lie and there's no, there's no repercussion for lying in a court anymore, a legal court. 
I thought that you, what's the word? You have to be perjury. I thought there was such a thing as perjury. They say, no, because it happens all the time. Why is that, church? Because we've quit being the standard of you don't do that. Hallelujah. We've got to get back to the standard. We don't lie. You swear to your own hurt and you don't move. Okay? These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. Next verse. I didn't give you the next verse. Okay, go to, can you get to the next verse? Boy, I've worked you really hard back there tonight, Mike Joy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All the SMTI students know all these, right? Hallelujah. All right, so the six things the Lord hates, seven are abomination to him. Hallelujah. Huh? A proud look. See, Rick knows them really good. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that blood. Yeah. Okay, let's go through these. So the six things the Lord hates, seven are abomination. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. Notice there's seven things it says here the Lord hates you know, abomin uh, that are abominable to God. Seven things, and two of them are regarding telling a lie. Two out of the seven. And the others, one's sowing discord, probably has lies involved in it, shedding innocent blood, feet running swift to evil, and a proud look. So the weight in this, what the Lord hates, is telling a lie. Telling a lie. Hallelujah. You know, um, uh, telling a lie can bring relief for a moment, but it's part of a masquerade. It's part of a masquerade. It's part of an appearance problem. And God always looks at the heart. You know, um, we need to teach our children that speaking a lie is not a good thing. We have to be after that. You know, and what has happened is because we've not called them on the lie or the misleading or the deception School teachers fi find themselves without any protection from the parents. They find themselves without anything they can use because everybody's believing whatever they want to believe. And there is no standard of truth. We have to get back to a standard of truth and supporting the truth instead of what we want the truth to be. Because it's the only way we can clean up the systems. It's the only way we can clean them up is that we can support the truth and call on the carpet the misleading and the misguiding. Hallelujah. Jeremiah, did I give you this one, Jeremiah 9.5? Everyone will deceive his neighbor and will not speak the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves to commit iniquity. You can get to where you're so comfortable telling a lie that we, we can't believe you. Remember the boy, was it the boy that cried wolf? That story? Okay. The church shouldn't be the boy crying wolf. All right. 
All right. Um, uh, let's go over to Psalms 51, verse 6. I'm wrapping it up. I'm not going to make you sit under this long. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. God is asking for truth in the very inner being of your being. Now, the interesting thing about this is the word truth in the Old Covenant is the word amet. And it's made up of three Hebrew letters. The first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and the very center letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And Jewish rabbis believe that this conclusion can be drawn from this word, that truth is what upholds the first and the last of God's creation and everything in between. It's truth that holds everything up. It's truth that arms us against the enemy. It's the truth. It's the truth that makes us stronger than the enemy. It's the truth that gets us from being intermingled and intertwined because he's the father of untruth. He's the father of falsehood. He's the father of lies. So we as the church, if we're going to have systems restored, we've got to step away from falsehood and we've got to walk in truth in order to be stronger than him and bring him down from those places he safely sits. We've got to break that mold of the church tells as many lies as the world. We've got to break that. we got to start telling truth. Not truth that's just hurtful. Truth that's honest and sincere with humility. Hallelujah. We have to tell the truth. Amen. Because if we don't tell the truth, we have no, no way possible to bring back the systems of this earth to line up with God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. It's about us turning from our wicked ways. Hallelujah. Turning from those twisted ways. Turning from those things. Okay, one last scripture. Let's go over to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 30. Jesus says, I will no longer talk much with you. For the ruler of this world is coming. The father of lies, the ruler of this world, the spirit of error. And he has nothing in me. He has nothing in me. He had nothing to hold on to Jesus with. There was nothing in Jesus. There was no selfishness. There was no lies. There was nothing in him that the enemy could hold on to. And if you go and you look at that, then you look at Jesus in the garden and he came, they came, the band of the troops came looking for Jesus. And Jesus said, who are you seeking? And he said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I am he. There was so much power in his word. It says that the troops fell back and fell to the ground. Okay. They fell to the ground. Because the enemy had nothing in him, so what came out of him was word of God that had effect on what they were trying to do. So that should tell us right there, if Jesus just said that and knocked them all flat, that obviously Jesus laid down his life. He had to yield it. 
because there was so much truth and life within him that they couldn't just overpower him. There was nothing that could overpower him. He had to yield it because there was no lies in him. There was only truth in him. And it was so much authority then that could come through him that the enemy had nothing on him, so he had to yield to the enemy. They, he couldn't overpower him and take him. So God is wanting us to be a joint heir with Jesus Christ that the enemy has nothing in you. He has nothing in you. He has nothing on you. The devil has nothing on you. And you can yield to Jesus and come into that, but then you can get to the place where righteous acts confirm it in your heart, where your heart has assurance so that anything you ask of him, you know you have the petitions you ask because your heart doesn't condemn you. Amen? Amen? It's about taking our authority in the realms of the invisible by the conduct we live that the spirit of the enemy has to bow to the church. It has to bow to the church. Amen? And that's just one of those things that has to be repaired. One of those things that we have to turn from to make it happen. Amen? Did you get something tonight? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, the spirit of truth, the spirit of error, bringing down, bringing down the enemy in those places, bringing them down. He's secure until somebody stronger comes along. And you have to decide, that's going to be me. 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 This stronghold of our house is coming down because of me. Hallelujah. These generational curses are broken because of me. Hallelujah. I'm joined with the spirit of truth and I will plunder that spirit of error. I will plunder the father of all lies. I will bring him down because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Amen. I will not yield to that lying spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It'll cost you. To yield to the enemy will cost you. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's all stand to our feet and I'll pray. Hallelujah. And I'll go home and get encouraged by the pastor. <laughs> Hallelujah. Father, we are so grateful that you are giving your church strategies. Strategies of the spirit. Hallelujah. That the systems of this world, the kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. That we press forward in anointing. We press forward with courage. We press forward with the joy of the Lord, bringing this nation to Jesus once again. Hallelujah. We are grateful and we are thankful for it, Father. Thank you, Father. For the work that you've begun in us, you will bring it into completion. That you'll not abandon us, that we are not orphans, Father. But we give you praise and thanksgiving that the word of truth, your word is truth, works in us to develop us and bring us to a higher place of stature. And for that, we give you praise and thanksgiving. I plead the blood of Jesus over this people. No weapon formed against them will prosper. I thank you they are protected from evil and preserved for good. And I thank you and I praise you for it. In Jesus' name. And everybody in agreement said... Amen.
Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us for this message. We'd like to take this opportunity to encourage those listening from anywhere in Central Oregon to join us Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. for our regular services. We understand that many do not have a home church, and we can't emphasize enough the importance of connecting with a church family. We'd be honored to meet you and spend time with you praising God.